Mud Stories, Episode 7. Your mercy floods my tired soul as you lift me out of my muddy hole. You wash me up with your sweet grace and you lead me to a safer place again. But it's taken years to kind of realize that I can have a very strong faith and I can have um, a very close relationship to God even when I don't feel Him at all, even when I'm you know, really struggling. You know, as a Christian, there's just, there's a reality that's that's alternate than that. And that is that the Lord is the one that helps us. You know, in Isaiah, it talks about, there's a couple scriptures that I just really clung to. And that was one of that, you know, I, I the Lord, your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not, I am the one who helps you. Hi, my name is Jackie Watkins, your host, and you're listening to Mud Stories a podcast dedicated to bringing you inspiration in your muddiest moments, hope to make it through your mud, and encouragement for you to know that you are not alone. Hey friends, welcome back to the Mud Stories podcast. Today I'm talking with my friend Aaliyah Joy, a storyteller, speaker, and homeschooling mother of three who makes her home in Central Oregon. Aaliyah shares her life with readers of her blog, AaliyahJoy.com, a resting place for the beauty she finds woven throughout even the most broken of stories. Her personal tale touches on so many of the hurts of today's women, depression, abuse, race, culture, body image, and the hard work of seeing God's glory in every single mess. Aaliyah's unique perspective and raw vulnerability make her an approachable voice, bringing hope to all her readers. She's a regular contributor to both the Illum and Encourage blogs and can be found on Twitter, hashtagging all the things, drinking copious amounts of coffee, and making goo-goo eyes at her husband. In this episode, we discuss Aaliyah's depression story, postpartum depression versus ongoing encyclical depression, how to recognize depression symptoms in our own lives and in the lives of those we love, and some practical steps we can take today if depression is affecting us. Wow, Aaliyah is my dear online friend turned close and personal in real life friend who really makes me a better person just for knowing her. Her journey has been full of adversity and yet her heart is rich with compassion for others and a gratitude toward God for all he gives. And it's my prayer today that as you listen in on our conversation, that you'll be better for having heard her words today too. Enjoy. Hi, Aaliyah. Welcome to the Mud Stories podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Hi, it's great to be here. Well, I'm so thankful for a lot of people listening. Maybe they don't really know how we met or got acquainted with each other. So I thought I'd tell a little story about that, if you don't mind. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm so thankful to Twitter. I think people who know me in real life know how much I love Twitter. But I love Twitter because I am a relater. And I think you are too, right? Yep, that's one of my five my five top strengths. Yeah, I think we just discovered that a few weeks ago that yep. <laughs> in strength, strengths finders, right? Uh-huh. Yep. We share three out of five. <laughs> That's why we get along so well. I know it is. It is. Um, but I'm so thankful how a tweet actually is how I randomly was introduced to you because you know another blogger in real life named Tish and she uh-huh. tweeted, I think it was back when you were starting a blog uh, a few yeah, years ago. I can't even remember. Probably ever ago 
I, I was on Twitter and I saw her tweet, hey, go check out my friend, Aaliyah, just started a blog. And I thought, well, I'm going to go. I love that name because my daughter's name is Aliana, but we wanted her to be called Allie. So one of the names we thought of giving her uh, when I was pregnant with her was actually the name Aaliyah. And uh, we ended up going with Aliana, but your name intrigued me because I, I've always loved that name. So I clicked over and checked out your blog. I immediately fell in love with your writing. It just was so authentic and lyrical. And, and we began an online friendship, and which then became a real life friendship when we met at the Illum conference, right? <laughs> Two years that ago. Was the best thing ever. There was much squealing and jumping around. And hugging, I think. I love <laughs> hugging, hugging you. Yes. And isn't that so crazy how these online friendships can become real life friendships? I mean, real friendships. Like we talk on the phone. Yeah. It's kind of crazy because I'm not much of a phone person. You know, I'm a pretty hardcore introvert. And so um, when I first was telling my husband, yeah, I met, you know, this person on Twitter and I can't wait to be. He was like, this is just. And even for me to say it, like it coming out of my mouth, you know, this is. <laughs> A couple years ago when I first started, he's like, these people could be like crazy people in their basement, and like, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, no, no, I've read their blogs, like I know about their families and their kids and their lives. And, um, but yeah, just meeting in person is that whole nother level. And so some of my like deepest relationships had started online and have now continued into real life. And I know um, it's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's a crazy. world we would have never imagined. But I know, it is. had it not been for this internet, I wouldn't have ever gotten to know you. So I'm very thankful for it. Yeah, me too. Me too. So much. So I just, as I've read your writing and become friends with you, I just love the voice that you've created online. The way you string words together are not only beautiful and moving, but they are often really raw and real. Yeah, I would say, you know, I get that a lot. <laughs> yeah, I know you do. But it's what we love about your writing. And, and I think uh, you've written a lot about some mud moments or mud pits you've been in. And so today as as we dive into that, take us back to whatever mud moment you had, life hasn't always been easy for you, I would, I would guess from reading some of your stories. So yeah, I think that, um, there's been so many. I mean, if I look through my life, I think one of the reasons, you know, I get that a lot. You, you write these really raw um, kind of things, and that's kind of what resonates with my readers. Um, and I think some of that has been, you know, there's just, there's a lot of stories. Um, and I don't know, I've kind of wondered as I got older, you know, some of this, my personality and my te temperament that I always kind of struggle in, you know, I'm always looking at the deeper kind of sides of things and I'm always kind of feeling I'm a very, I'm an INFJ. So that high feeling intuitive personality that just seems to feel, feel a lot more and think a lot more sometimes than other personalities. So it's like prone to suffering. I don't know. Um, and if, if there isn't suffering, I kind of find it somehow. Um, but I, I look through and cause you're always trying to make things better. And in doing that, sometimes I think we make things worse, but, um, yeah, I just, for me, uh, I think the most recent kind of struggle um, thing that I've seen God work kind of miraculously through has just been my issues with depression. And um, now tell us about that. For me, well, for me, when I started, when I originally thought I was going to start blogging, um, it had been because I had started sewing and I started following these sewing blogs. And I was like, wow, these people that do these sewing blogs get like free stuff, like <laughs> silhouette machine and like 
crafty things for like you know and I thought I so went through a sewing stage in the in the 90s I totally yes I was sewing quilts I was sewing skirts I made shorts with elastic (laughs) for my um two-year-old son when he was two oh wow well my mom has always done that she's like an amazing I mean she makes she made all the kids homemade quilts and all stuff but I never really caught on to it I was never really that into it until I became an adult and um, and saw that they got free stuff. <laughs> yeah. And then I was like, I need a creative outlet. So I took this adult education, like sewing class at the, at the high school and we dragged our sewing machines in there and set them up. And I learned to make, you know, an apron for my daughter. And then I just went through this phase where I was sewing like crazy. And I was, I've always kind of needed that creative outlet. And I've always written, um, I mean, from the time I was little, I have stacks and stacks of journals but I was, it was all very private things, you know, angsty issues. And th- I mean, I have them all the way back to when I was writing bubble letters with hearts over, you know, <laughs> and which boy I liked in third grade and all of the things. So I have always written, but it was always a private thing for me. And so I, my creative outlets tended to be other things. So I went on this, you know, sewing spree and that, and then I thought maybe I'll start blogging because I could combine like writing with the, the crafting things I did. And so it was a lot of like, my idea for my blog was like, do it yourself and, and refurnishing furniture and all of, and so I have a lot of crafty kind of things that I do. Yeah. But I realized (laughs) very shortly after I started writing, um, that I actually hate do it yourself posts. I don't like, (laughs) I would, I like, I redid my entire kitchen table and I completely forgot to take pictures of the before and the after, you know, I like ended up taking a picture, like one picture before and then did the entire process, got so caught up in it, and the end had like the entire thing done and realized, oh, that didn't work. Like, no I pictures. To document all the steps, you know. <laughs> and so um, I found that, that most often what happened in my writing voice was just um, the other things started coming out. And during that, that period um, of beginning blogging and kind of doing that, I went through a pretty severe, I mean, not that long after I started my blog, through one of the most severe bouts of depression that I had ever gone through. And so automatically, you know, I wasn't sewing and I wasn't um, able to get out of bed and I was struggling and, you know, I homeschooled my three kids. So I would literally have them, you know, crawl up on the bed next to me and I'd be kind of laying there just dragging through the lessons, trying to make it through um, and feeling very alone and feeling very defective Um I think we get a lot of that, you know, especially with mental health issues, uh, just that idea that, you know, you should have more faith, you should be happier, you should have joy, it should feel this way. And I think, um, though those things are true, like we can have joy in the middle of, of depression, even I've learned that now that those things are not opposed, but it's taken years to kind of realize that, um, I can have a very strong faith and I can have, um, a very close relationship to God, even when I don't feel him at all, even when I'm, you know, really struggling. How far and back so, was it for you when, when you first could identify that depression was an issue for you? I'm guessing this last, this last bit was not the first time you'd recognized it. Yeah. The first time I was diagnosed with depression was a postpartum. So I had had a son, I had my son Judah, who's now 13. And after I had him, I, was in a funk for like a year. And I had a doctor, you know, I was 19 when I got married and they told me that I might not be able to have kids for other, other things. That was its own whole season. Mm -hmm. And so when we did get pregnant with Judah, you know, I was 19 facing infertility and they were like, you need to start now because Mm -hmm. every year, 
that you wait is, you know, is a chance that you won't be able to have children. And so that kind of threw off our, our whole like plan, you know, our whole life plan was thrown off because all of a sudden it was this urgent thing to have children. And so when we got pregnant with Judah, um, I was super excited about it. And, um, but I was 21, uh, almost 21 when I had him. It was dev- it was devastating. I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't have uh, my parents were missionaries in India, and so they were not able to be near. Um, we didn't have a lot of support. I didn't know older women that had been there and that could tell me that I was doing okay. It's so hard that first baby. I remember that too. I was twenty five when my first baby was born, and yeah. I remember wheeling out of the hospital with him, and it was supposed to be this, you know, this epiphany yeah. of, like, I'm a mother now, and I have this newborn, right. and it's horrifying. I remember <laughs> I was trying to hide the tears coming down my face when the I was waiting for my husband to pull the car up, and, you know, you're sitting there, the nurse is behind you with the wheelchair, and you've got your newborn, and you're supposed to be all happy, and the tears just wouldn't stop, and I couldn't hide them, and I was so overwhelmed. I'm like, how am I going to take care of this baby? This is overwhelming, and I think that feeling surprises us. And I, I know as I work in labor and delivery, I'm sending moms home all the time with their newborns and, right. you know, doing a lot of that nurse education teaching about recognizing the signs and symptoms of depression, because a lot of it postpartum is related to hormones. But totally. yeah, it can really catch you off guard. And you don't really know who to turn to. or You like, nobody told me about this. Like, they yeah. just did baby showers and presents and everything's supposed to be happy. And right. then, you know, everybody's want, wanting to come visit you and you're just feeling so big still. And yeah, overwhelmed. Oh, it's and just so hard. Yeah. So that was the first time I, I had a, a doctor, you know, at that time I didn't, I didn't know like how to research people and how to figure out who was good. And, um, and so, and my friends were all young. We were all, you know, none of us knew anything. And so, she didn't catch it. And when I had kind of told her, like, these are the kind of issues that I was having, it was just kind of blown off. Like, Oh, that's baby blues. That's normal. You're tired. It's this, I had a really long and horribly complicated labor that ended in a C-section. So there was just all of these things kind of compounded. And so, so I just, I didn't get treatment, um, actually that entire year. So my, my son's first year was just a blur. I mean, I would, I would wander around without my hair brushed and without, you know, and then when I would go out, um, I, everything was just about maintaining him and trying to, to do all of these things. And so it was like moment to moment. Yeah. And I don't even remember like enjoying him. I mean, the, the, you know, that was the saddest part of it is Mm -hmm. like we did things and I look at pictures sometimes, but I don't even remember being present that entire first year. And I think that's more common than you realize. I really, Yeah, yeah. You know, I just didn't, I just didn't have any idea that my husband was worried about me, but I think he didn't know, you know, what to do. And, um, I just, I just was, I was miserable. And then, I got pregnant um, again when he was almost a year, a little over a year, and um, ended up miscarrying at 16 weeks. And mm. so that pregnancy, I had a different doctor. So I went through this whole thing you know, with that, and that was extremely complicated because I, I had to go in for multiple surgeries and infections. And so it was a... That was a really long process. Life-changing. Well, that's <laughs> yeah. just, that's a whole nother level of grief. Right. Oh. And so I was dealing with that, and I was so detached. I mean, I think at that point, me and my husband were really detached from each other because I just wasn't even there. And um, and so... Well, you're so isolated and alone. I mean, those right. feelings of profound grief after neonatal loss are just... Yeah. Uh, I, just, I yeah. just wanted to, to be done. I just, mm-hmm. you know, okay, you know, this has happened. And at first I was struggling with the loss. And then from there, it just, it, 
you know, I just, the, then there was all the medical complications and that was its own prolonged thing. And so after that, the doctor said, I think you need to be on an, an antidepressant. I think you need to, um, you know, see somebody. I don't think you're I mean, he could tell that I was just not functioning. He was the first one to identify and validate that. Say, you know, I think you've probably had postpartum depression since your last pregnancy and that you're still in the middle of this. And so, um, was that a relief that he actually verbalized that? Yeah. You know, at first I kind of thought, well, I'm just really tired. I've, you know, like I've been through all this stuff and I kind of, I don't know that I understood even what it was, what it was until I looked back later after I had kind of come out of it. And I realized, oh my gosh, like I was just numb for like a over, you know, a year and a half of my life was just um, a blank and I was just barely functioning. And so looking back at that, um, you know, when I came out of it, there was this period where I was doing really well and I, I went back to school and I, you know, I decided I don't want to have any more kids right now. I, you know, I, I kind of went a different direction and that's its own, its own whole, that's other a whole nother med story. That's a whole nother. <laughs> yeah. So I, um, I started pursuing other things and kind of left God in the dust and, um, had all this motivation and this energy to kind of live my life and attain my dreams. And so I kind of pursued those things for a while. And then, um, ended up having my daughter. And and so with each subsequent pregnancy that we had, you know, um, we have three kids. And so each one afterwards, I was prone to having that depression. And I knew that that was, uh, you know, something that I, the doctors were aware of and were looking for. And, um, I would start to get really funky around a week and a half after postpartum and I would get super, you know, anxiety and panic attacks and people would want to come see the baby. And I would start freaking out like, about germs and about, I'm just not not outside of the realm of a normal new mom and outside of the the realm of like normal concerns and things like that. And I would, um, be just that kind of unbearable sadness. Mm -hmm. And with my daughter, we had a really easy delivery and it was still a C-section, but it was planned. We knew exactly what was happening. And so, and she was a very, very easy baby and I was still just kind of crushed afterwards. And so that was kind of when I realized, okay, it's, you know, I blamed all this stuff with my son, like, okay, it was really hard. So of course I'm depressed. But with my daughter, it was like, everything was really easy. And yet, um, I'm still feeling just this unbearable kind of sadness and, um, being just overwhelmed. And so, um, that was kind of the pattern. Oh, well, I have postpartum depression. And for a period of time afterwards, I would pay attention to that and I would get better. And then I would kind of go on with my life. And so I never had um, just a really deep and wrecking depression outside of those. They were uh, related to the pregnancies or right. postpartum. So just, uh, well, it's a postpartum depression, but I'm not a depressed person per se. Um, but then this this last time looking back, you know, I'm realizing I think that there were um, – periods of depression that I would have and that I, um, that I do cycle kind of in and out of these depressions. I don't any have lasted as long as this last one. This last one was, um, a good three or four months of, of, you know, one of the worst depressions that I've ever been into where just functioning day to day was extremely hard and I didn't have anything to blame it on. Um, Oh, well, I had a baby or I had home. It was just kind of out of nowhere. And, um, and I think for me, in some ways, that was the hardest thing is, yeah. is knowing that um, this thing is just here in my life and in my 
uh, in my moods and in my, and I couldn't fix it. I couldn't just make myself feel better. Um, right. And I think that is the misconception that people have when they're not as educated about, about depression, clinical yeah. depression, because there doesn't necessarily have to be a trigger. Right. And I think when we don't know a lot about depression and we live in ignorance, yeah. then we can have tapes that speak negative and untruthful things to our own minds. And we right. can have those opinions about others too. Right. And that leads to the isolation all the more. Yeah. Because like you were saying, you felt al- not only alone, but defective in the sense, what's wrong with me? Why am I feeling this profound sadness that is unexplainable? Right. In that sense. So yeah. for some people, it's hard for them to even put that label on it. Right. Because if you verbalize that it's called, quote unquote, depression, there's a stigma to that in their own minds. There absolutely is. Yeah. Well, I think for me, um, you know, I've always been pretty open about things. And, um, you know, to, to those that are closest to me, I was like, this is just what it is. Um, but I, I, I realized after, so I was in a homeschool co-op at the time and I was involved in other things. And so my life was kind of just moving on. And then in the middle of that, here comes this, you know, (laughs) train wreck of a depression that I am, I am so, I mean, that was even to where, you know, my, I did go see a counselor and, um, she started seeing me at the beginning of it. Um, when it was first, when I was first kind of experiencing these things and progressing through, she's like, you don't even talk the same like my speech was slowed and I was I was so like my brain was just cloudy and I was having a hard time focusing and I just just all of these kind of things and so and would you say those are the you know if there's someone out there struggling wondering hmm am I am I experiencing depression what would you say I think you mentioned some of them just now but what would you say are those hallmark signs that you could put your finger on that Hmm, maybe this is a situation where I actually am struggling with depression, where I might want to seek a kind of counseling situation or reaching out to someone. Yeah, I think for me, the beginning things, um, and, and she's actually, you know, that was one of the things the counselor did help me with is tracking, you know, almost like you would track a menstrual cycle or you would track, you know, your moods. you basically track your moods and it helps you kind of see when you're trending downward. I tend to cycle. I, um, the the definition of it is cyclothymia, and it's um, okay. like a very very mild, almost bipolar, um, where you cycle up and down. So I will cycle kind of borderline manic, where I'll refinish my table and sew everything and start a blog. Yes. <laughs> you know, decide to do all of these things and sign up for five homeschool co-ops. And, and that phase can happen for not only a one day, it can happen for a week. Right. It can, it can vary. Weeks, sometimes months. Um, um, a fast cycler would be every couple weeks, every two weeks or so. And I have had those where, um, but I'll kind of cycle up and then I'll hit a, a extreme low, low where all of a sudden, so the first things I notice is everything is overwhelming. Um, overwhelming. Okay. Overwhelming. I'm feeling stressed about things. I usually start having anxiety, sometimes full-blown panic attacks. Um, I'm not able to do things. I'm finding I'm forgetting things. And, you know, of course, this is, there's always a, a realm of normal in any of this. Everybody right. has anxiety. Everybody has. But I think when it's a chronic thing where you're noticing, like, every day I'm waking up panicked. Every day I'm feeling like I'm dropping things. I can't remember things. Um, sat, like, I would, um, sadness, I would be, you know, just 
crying like think all the time sometimes just for no reason at all and sometimes so sad there are no tears wouldn't you say yeah and I think um one of the things too is that a lot of times people I think um would classify depression as just just sadness just I'm really sad Mm -hmm. but there's a there's so many things that go with it anger was a huge thing for me Mm -hmm. I would just like no feelings to just rage um where I was freaking out on my kids because they were contributing to this just you know, these pressures on me and I was feeling Mm. just completely overwhelmed. And, um, and then just, it would progress to, you know, insomnia or just too much sleep, um, where I could either not sleep at night at all, or I'd want to sleep all day. And I would be so, I'd be, you know, trying to drink coffee to wake up, or I'd be trying to get, you know, just feeling like I hadn't slept in weeks, that kind of muddy brained. So it sounds Um, like these are a more extreme version of what things sometimes are normal to have yeah. in our lives. Yeah. Yeah. And I think they really are. I think it's an exaggerated, you know, your, your brain chemistry is off. And so the way that you normally cope, um, and the way that normal people, you know, will handle stress and then move on, you're not able to move on from that. And so you're stuck in this kind of, uh, cycle of just, um, yeah, just that b- being overwhelmed by your life and feeling completely alone. And I, I think in the middle of that, um, it was really hard because there's nothing obviously wrong with you. You know, it's, it's just, you know, it's you not have, readily apparent physically. Right. And so there's just nothing there. And so, yes. so I was writing through this period of, of time. And so those are some of, I mean, some of the posts I can barely even, read because I can it just takes me back to those places at I'm not in that place currently you know but um but some of my friends had read that and um actually it wasn't even a a close friend it was just somebody I knew through this homeschool thing and had organized um people to bring me meals and for that that for me was um I think one of the first realizations like to me initially it felt humiliating Mm. um to not be able to take care of my children over something like depression. It, and that's when I think I realized, you know, that the, 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 the way that society looks at it and the way some of that stigma was tied into that, like, well, I haven't been in a car accident. I'm not really sick. You didn't just have surgery or. Right. But people are like kind of rallying around and doing this thing for me. And it was really hard to accept mm. that help and that, and to be okay in the weakness and to say, you know what? Um, I am, I am weak in this. Like I I think, you know, people just, especially in the society where I had written in a post once where society who despises lack, we always want to be enough. We always want to be capable and competent. And, you know, that's what we expect. We are so success driven. We're so, you know, security driven. And, you know, as a Christian, there's just, there's a reality that's, that's alternate from that. And that is that, the Lord is the one that helps us. You know, in Isaiah, it talks about there's a couple scriptures that I just really clung to. And that was one of that, you know, I, I, the Lord, your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not, I am the one who helps you. And I would just go through those in my head and and just believe them, you know, even when I couldn't feel that, that the Lord was um, establishing me, that he was there with me. um, and And in our weakness, he's strong. Yeah. And I think there was a, I wasn't able to dig myself out of it and I wasn't able to make it better. And that realization to me at first was very difficult. I was, you know, I felt like, God, you've given me like 
these giftings and these skills and, and, you know, like they're totally God given that I could do these things. And in my head, I had this idea like, Lord, if you would just fix this part of me, then I could do all of these amazing things for you. Like I want to serve you. I want to be this godly mother. I want to be this great wife. I want to have this ministry and this blog and to write and to minister to people and to do all of these things. If you would just let me not be in this place, I would do all of these great things for you. And what I felt like God was saying to me during this period of time was that I'm not asking you to do all these great things for me. I'm asking you just to be where I have you and to depend on me. And during that time, I think, um, you know, I look back and I realize that the depth of my relationship with God multiplied in that time of um, when it was so hard and when it was so bleak and, and in a lot of ways I didn't, you know, I felt like I was crying out to God and he wasn't necessarily there. Like I, I felt that way. And yet, um, I believe that he would see me through it. And so, so in a sense, as you, as the, the struggle propelled you toward God, it was really just pure faith that you stood more on the promises that you knew cerebrally, you know, the promises you knew in your mind, even if you weren't feeling them and you, you made a decision. Yeah. You made a decision to stay with God. Yeah. And I mean, I think, I think part of that was, um, I didn't, I, I felt like I didn't have a choice. I didn't have the energy, um, to make my own way out of it. So it was really this desperation, like, Lord, you have to come through or I'm not going to make it. You know, I'm not mm-hmm. going to be able to, um, to, to get through this on my own. And so I think, um, there's a humbling that happens in our weakness. You see it a lot of times in people that are, you know, chronically ill and there's this dividing point where, um, you know, you see these inspiring stories of these people that come through this, you know, this kind of things and that their faith in God is deepened. And then you see these, these people that are going through things and they're very bitter and angry and hurt. And I've, I've chose both in my life. And I definitely have had things in my childhood and, and, you know, in my life where I, um, before I became a Christian and came to know the Lord personally in my teens, I hated God. I hated what he stood for. I hated what Christians told me about, you know, oh, he's, he's good and he's loving. I had never seen that in my life. I felt like every time I looked um, at experiences that I'd gone through, all I could see was how hard pain things yeah. were for me. All I could see was pain and I couldn't mm-hmm. understand the purpose of suffering um, and the suffering that I had endured in my life. I felt it was unreasonable and that a loving God would not allow that. And I see so many people that are struggling with that yeah. concept of how can a loving God allow us to hurt and not just hurt, but break apart. Break. And Shatter. Yeah. And yeah. so for me, um, I had already gone that road in my teens and been so angry at God. And, and, and when I became a Christian and he redeemed that side of me, it was a process of learning to trust him with my suffering, to trust him with my pain, to trust him with the outcome of my life. And yeah. to see that he was working and that, that he was in it with me, that he wasn't some kind of cruel puppet master out there just pulling strings and, you know, but that he... I think, I think it, God sometimes does get a bad rap in the midst of suffering and... Oh, for sure. And in our shattered lives, you know, because like you said, you wonder, well, if God is really loving, then why the suffering? Right. Why do I feel like I'm just not going to make it? And yet, you know, we have our own definition 
of how God should love. It's like we put on him how he should be based on our finite human understanding of what love is. Right. And if we open our minds up to the truth of what scripture actually says and to the character of God that we see in the totality of scripture, mm-hmm. we learn a lot about the sovereignty of God yeah. and that our ways are not his ways and could it be that faith is the avenue? You know, we right. don't blindly trust by faith. Faith mm-hmm. is the evidence to believe something. Right. You know, it's not just blind. I'm walking around in a dark room hoping something's there. It's not a faith that hopes. It's a faith that has evidence to stand on. And God's perspective and what he's actually in his sovereignty giving, which could be suffering, um, may just be actually a gift that he's choosing to give to us that he is going to make beautiful. And it's really the only path that's going to work right? to make us into becoming more and more like him. And so I think even in depression, whether it's depression or whatever kind of mud we're in, whether we chose it or it's a tragedy or a sickness or whatever it is, you know, the challenge is shifting our perspective, realizing that we are not God and trusting on the evidence of all his faithfulness in his word and his faithfulness that we've experienced in our lives and then choosing, making a choice. God, I'm going to surrender to you in that weakness no matter what, because I'm going to trust that you see the front of the tapestry that you're weaving and I see all the jagged edges and strings that are all knotted and it doesn't make any sense to me. But in your graciousness, I'm asking someday that you would help me see the beauty of the front side. And, And I think that's what you're describing in the middle of your depression. You know, you had to make a decision. Yeah. You know, and I think, you know, I made that decision based on what I, what, like, like you said, um, there were periods of time when I wasn't obviously depressed and I grounded when I became a Christian, I was so hungry to know God that I devoured. I mean, I devoured books, I devoured, you know, Bible studies. And I, so there was a foundation there in my life for when times got incredibly hard and a relationship with God that I could look back on. And I had already seen how everything in my life was woven through Mm -hmm. with this redemption song. I could see how, you know, I began to make sense of the suffering and I'm still making sense of the suffering. It's not like everything is, I'm still dealing with the fallout from things that, you know, that I, that I've gone through or that I've done. Um, but I, I think, you know, you're like, you were saying about the tapestry. I, I kind of was thinking, you know, um, I had this picture of like, you know, Chinese blow art kind of, you know, you start with the one black ink spot and that was my life. It was just this black muddied mess. And, you know, as the Holy Spirit was blowing into my life, it starts weaving and branching out. And there's this beautiful picture at the end. And I feel like, you know, it it doesn't always make sense. Um, in the middle of it, 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 you know, for sure didn't, um, there was a protective kind of wall around me that I've, that I had maintained kind of my entire life. And, and even other people would say, well, I thought you were this way. And I'd be like, nope, I'm actually a total mess. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not, you know, well, I thought you were this way or that way. And, and it just kind of, I think all those walls kind of came crumbling down and I realized that I'm okay. Mm-hmm. Um, that I'm okay with not being, you know, all together. And, um, I'm kind of known for it. And it's not, it's not like I want to be, you know, just that I'm always, you know, I'm always falling apart. But for a long period of time, my writing was that way. And I remember thinking, God, people are going to be so tired of me 
you know, just, it's always just so hard, you know, and people be like, oh, I read your post and it made me cry. And I'm like, oh, am I ever going to not make people cry? Like I am actually funny inside. <laughs> you swear. are. But what's so beautiful about that is that what it creates is a feeling in us as readers that we are not alone, that we're not crazy in our mind, that we're having challenges and questioning and, and just struggling in our own, you know, mud pits. <laughs> Real authentic writing that's raw helps us know wow, we're not alone. And so take me um, back to when you were in that depth of depression this last episode. How did, as you leaned into God, how did you begin to come out of that? And how did he begin to teach you things through that? Um, I think I think there were a couple things. One thing was, um, you know, and I think it might be different for everybody, but I, I felt like God was impressing on me really strong that you just need to worship me. Like you need to be, um, awed by me. And so I would have like worship CDs and music and things like that when so I, good. when I didn't have the brain power to, um, read and digest a bunch of things, I just didn't have the energy. Um, I would just lay there in my bed and, and worship. And sometimes my daughter would come and snuggle with me and yeah. she'd be curled up there. And I, and God inhabits our praise. Yeah. And I yeah. would just be like worshiping God, even when I didn't feel like it. And I think sometimes we, um, we think that there's an in- inauthenticity to maybe doing, going through the motions of things. Like we're being fake or something. Like we're being fake yeah. worshiping God when we don't really feel like we're worshiping. But I felt like God was saying, this is, I have not like, when I look through his word, it wasn't like, Hey, when you feel moved to worship me, go ahead and like send up a little, you know, song or Thanksgiving or prayer. It was like, this is my command to you that, that I'm, I am God. And you know, like there's a, there's a seriousness in how we come to him. And I felt like, um, that was what kind of what God was telling me is that you need to worship me, like worship, worship in sadness, worship, even if you're crying and you're a mess. And so I think some of those walls broke down in me where I, you know, I would go to church and I would just be sobbing. And I mean, it was just, you know, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, people are going to come up to me after and be like, hey, how are you? You know, the red puffy eyes and the, just the makeup all smeared down my face. And I could not hold it together. Like I just, I just could not. And so that was okay. It, it happened. It was relieving to be able to be who you are. Yeah. And some people are uncomfortable by it. I mean, for sure. You know, like they don't know, should I should I go and talk to them or do they want to be left alone? There's always that awkward, but I felt like this is all I can bring. And, you know, I kind of, I remember thinking, gosh, I really, you know, miss biblical times. You could just put on sackcloth and ashes and you just be there wailing. And I'd be like, <laughs> okay, they're, you know, they're lamenting. That's what it looks like. You know, um, we're not great in this culture at learning how to lament, how to, how to sit in suffering and not try to fix it. And we're so like, well, you've yep. got to pep talk yourself out of it. And you've got to do these five steps. And if you would just think positive and, you know, pin some happy quotes on Pinterest and you're going to feel better. It's like, there's an aspect in our society that I feel like has not understood how to grieve properly. And the fact that God grieves with us yes. in this broken world. And so we offer these solutions to people that are, are hurting. I mean, really hurting as this fixable way that God makes your life pretty and that, and there's a, there's a truth to that. Of course, God brings beauty out of the ashes. Absolutely. Absolutely. He does. And I, I love that, but there's also a truth, you know, and I know you've said it before that not everything is tied up with a pretty bow. There are seasons of suffering mm-hmm. that we go through. And, and sometimes what people need from us is our presence. 
Absolutely. You know, our, yeah. our physical touch, I think we underestimate the power of physical touch. You know, it's not yeah. socially accepted as much to just put your hand on someone's hand or go over to their house, take a meal and just right. sit with them. You know, yeah. uh, it. I, there's a Jewish custom called sitting Shiva. I think it's called. Right. Yeah. And it's this whole tradition mm-hmm. that you, when, when someone's going through grieving, you go and you sit with them. You don't speak. You don't offer advice. You cry with them and you offer them the gift of your presence. And I think that is something that if we would just step out and do one thing, that would be powerful. We We could change people's lives that way. As you consider others today who might be listening, who maybe are able to identify with what you're saying about identifying depression as being an issue for them, maybe they've struggled alone, Maybe they've told one person, maybe it's even something that they're afraid to verbalize. What action steps, what could they do in the next 24, 48 hours to begin to move toward restoration and healing from depression realistically? Because we know that depression is not, you know, an isolated event. It cycles for people. It can be Mm -hmm. long. It can be short. It can... Yeah, you know what? What would you recommend for people? Um, I think there's a couple things. I think you know ultimately that um, there's a relationship that that can come out of um, being vulnerable and being open, and um, both with God and with those around you. So I think um, that idea of asking for help or just letting people know, hey, this is what I'm going through, and and not everybody has a safe place. So I'm even, even saying this, I'm wary, you know, Mm -hmm. there are, there are times when I've opened up and I realized like, wow, that was, that was a mistake, (laughs) you know, bad Um, plan on that. (laughs) And so, you know, and you, and you can't, you can't always count on other people, but you can always, always count on God. And so I think Mm -hmm. um, just praying and being honest, like, I think sometimes we, when we're broken and when we're going through a really hard time, we kind of retreat because mm-hmm. he doesn't feel as present. Absolutely yeah. from God. I think that's one of yeah. the first things we tend to do in our flesh. Well, we because we feel of, like we, there's this feeling that we have to be having everything together to come to God. Right. You know, like I have to have my, my 30 minutes blocked off with my hot tea and my Bible. And I have to know exactly where I'm going with my checkoff list and I have to read the right verses. And then I have to journal perfectly correctly in case somebody reads it. So they won't think I'm crazy. You know? Yeah, totally. I think there's professional help. I think that there, Mm -hmm. you know, I know that there's a lot of stigma involved in that in its own thing, especially in the, you know, Christian community. And I think that some of the things that are going, you know, if you read every post on Facebook and stuff, there's a lot of stuff that goes around that can be very shaming to somebody that has issues with mental illness, um, you know, and seeking out conventional ways of getting help through counseling or through medications. Mm -hmm. You know, I think those are things that um, people need to consider and -hmm. think about when they're, you know, blindly passing on, oh, here's this. I, You know, there's sometimes people don't mean to be insensitive and people don't mean, but you haven't done the research and you haven't looked into it or you haven't struggled with it. And you just, you know, kind of like, well, anybody that, takes medication or anybody that has to go to their counselor for this is, you know, they're not having a strong right. faith. You have to really think about the ramifications of that and what that looks like. Um, I think being open in, you know, having a church environment, having a community that will embrace you in that yes. um, is something that we're all, you know, I hope to be that for somebody else. And I hope that they, you know, people are who are listening to that will realize if, even if you don't struggle with it, I guarantee you that there are very well put together people around you that have gone through this thing 
you know, I mean, just, this is something that so many people struggle with and so many. Um, be careful what you're saying. Cause that person next to you may not have, have come out and, you know, started talking about it openly, but they may, they may have struggled with that or they may continue to struggle with it. And, and so, you know, with any kind of story, we need to be careful with our words. We need to be wise in what we say and how we say it. And to always think, um, you know, in terms of loving the other person more mm-hmm. than we care about our own opinions. Absolutely. And, you know, I think for me, a lot of it was, was learning to worship God in the, in the only ways that I could. And sometimes it looked, you know, I mean, I think there's a reason that so many people cling to that idea of a broken hallelujah. There, there mm-hmm. is this idea that we can be crumpled and broken and still calling out to God, you know? And, um, I think of the, the people that, you know, that called out to Jesus to be healed. Like they just, he held it out, you know, yeah. Lord heal me. And, and that's going to look different for different people. That's going to look, but I think, so there's traditional avenues. I think counseling, you know, mm-hmm. ca- my counselor didn't fix everything, but she sure helped me be able to, you know, look at patterns in my life and look at how, I, how things were cycling and to be able to kind of take account of that. Um, and so there are things you can do even now, like when you're not in one of those cycles. Yeah. So I know like I'm an introvert. And so I, when I start getting depressed, I pull away from everybody because it's overwhelming, but I've realized that I really need to be in community with some very deep, close friends where I can be a message. Yeah. And I had, you know, um, this was one of the first depressions, obviously, when I didn't have a baby and wasn't kind of consumed with that. And I had a, a, a dear friend here that would come and she would just show up and pick up my kids and take them to the dog park with her. She would just, you know, and I would be standing in the hall, my hair a mess, my mascara everywhere. And she would, it was literally that she would just come and she would give me a hug and she would bundle up all my children and take them for the afternoon. Or she would, um, we would, she would come and pick me up and we would, and she was a little pushy in like the best possible way, like not too much, but but in just like the, you need to, and we would go sit in McDonald's parking lot because I didn't want to go in anywhere with like an iced tea yeah. and talk. And she would just let me ramble mindlessly. And she was there for me. And that was a huge thing to know that, um, and this was like a mom who was very put together and very, you know, on the outside, I would look at her and think she has everything together. Um, but she would just sit with me and there wasn't judgment and there wasn't, you know, tons of like, well, have you done this? And should you do this? And, but she would just listen to me, you know, talk about how, how I was falling apart and how it was really hard. And I know I had a lot of people praying for me. That was a huge Mm -hmm. thing. Um, and then writing in community for me, you know, what God, you know, I thought I was going to get free sewing stuff, but actually (laughs) what God, um, meant for this community was that I would have, you know, the ability to write through, right in and through this depression, right through Mm -hmm. the things. And there was so many people rallying around me that were saying, you know, me too, me too. I, I feel that. Sometimes we understand better when we write. Yeah. Oh, I definitely do. And it was the first time I hadn't processed in a journal. I had processed this online. And so there was a different, you know, some of my most close relationships, like I said, came from those periods of writing Mm -hmm. where, you know, even though I'm not in that, that period anymore, there was a connection made you know, through emails and through comments. I mean, some of my depression posts are the ones that have the most interaction because people were just like, yeah, it, it's super hard. Yeah. And um, so if people want to find you online, where would they find you? So I am writing aliajoy.com. Aliajoy.com. And then I'm, um, and then I contribute to the Encourage and Illume blogs. 
Okay, encourage.me and uh, com forward slash blog. I'll link to all of those in the show notes. Yeah, and then I'm on Twitter, you know, sometimes. We love Twitter. Sometimes a lot, sometimes gone. You know, I just, I kind of go through, I like binge and purge social media. We're stuff. in the same time zone so on, on Twitter. <laughs> you know? we, uh, we're, we're really actually live there when you see tweets, right? Right. You yeah. and me? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. oh, Leah, what a joy to talk to you today. I have looked forward to speaking to you all week. And I'm to see you in person. <laughs> I know. I cannot wait to see you in person. I don't know when that's going to be. Are you, Are you going at a loom right this year? I will be at a loom. Yes. In October. So the loom conference can't wait. So if, if it's not before then we will talk soon for sure. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I awesome. loved it. Okay. Bye friend. Well, that's all for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. There's one small thing I want us all to do together after this episode today. But before I tell you what that is, I want to remind you, you can find the show notes and all the links mentioned in this episode over at JackieWatkins.com forward slash episode seven, or you can always get there by going to MudStories.com. If you've enjoyed these episodes, I'd be so grateful if you do two things before our big group thing that I'm going to let you know about. Number one, if you would just find one friend that you could share this podcast with, somebody who maybe is going through something hard or has been through something hard, who you think would be encouraged by hearing these interviews and stories. And then secondly, if you wouldn't mind taking a few moments and heading over to iTunes, You can go to JackieWatkins.com forward slash iTunes and you can subscribe to the podcast there and you can also leave a rating or a review if this is something that you really would love to see exposed to other people so that they could be encouraged and inspired by these stories too. So I wanted to say as a group, in light of the current events, We know that depression is rampant and affects so many people, and I'm so thankful for Aaliyah coming on the show today and just really giving a voice to this topic that is so heavily on the hearts of so many. And we know that one of the most powerful things we can do to battle depression is for us to know that we're not alone. So I thought it'd be really fun if together as the Mud Stories community, we could band together and build something to say that we're together standing and fighting against depression. So I was thinking this is how we could do it. This week, if you have listened to this show and you are committed to taking some steps to fight either your own depression or to help someone you love fight theirs, I want you to go about your week looking for something, searching for something of beauty that you can find, even if it's just something really small. And I want you to get your phone or your camera, and I want you to take a picture of that thing of beauty that you've discovered, something that's beautiful. And then I want you to post it over on Instagram or Twitter with the hashtag MudStoriesBeautiful. And I thought it'd be so fun if we follow that hashtag either on Instagram or Twitter this week. Let's meet each other and let's comment on each other's posts and be encouraged that even through the difficulty of life, even when we face this thing called depression or in honor of the people we know struggling with depression, let's show that we can be diligent and choose to find even one small, small, beautiful thing in the midst of our mud. And we can share it with each other and know that we're not alone. 
And I'm just so excited. I can't wait to see the beauty you're going to find, the pictures you're going to take, whether it's going to be outside or inside of your kids, of your friends, of your family. Maybe you're just in a place where you can only just offer up a small, quiet whisper to God. Wherever it is you are that you do that, take a picture and use the hashtag MudStoriesBeautiful. Again, thank you so much for listening. I know there are so many things you could be doing today, and yet you chose to be here with me listening to this story and this podcast, and I just can't be more grateful. So today, no matter what we're facing, where we've been, or what lies ahead, may we all find a grateful song to sing. Have a beautiful day. Never in you, Mama, feels a press upon my mind. I pull the shame that leaves me a little bit blind. I cannot see beyond the blame, and I never will find a way out. And then I feel you next to me. You lift my head to see. Your strong arm reaches to me. Your mercy floods my tired soul as you lift me out of my muddy hole. You wash me up with your sweet grace and you lead me to a safer place again. I never any mother feels a press upon my that leaves me a little bit blind I cannot see beyond the blame And I never will find a way out And then I feel you next to me You lift my head to see Your strong arm reaches to me Your mercy floods my tired soul song to sing, a grateful song to sing.